When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome into the latest Gators Online show. Zach Albaverde and Nick Del Torre coming to you. One from the Sunshine State, the other one from Omaha, Nebraska, as Nick is out there covering the Gators as they have advanced to the College World Series final. Just an incredible three-game stretch (laughs) they've had in Omaha. Everyone down to the wire. Uh... Nick's not been able to get any uh, stories ready by that ninth inning. He's He's been writing up until the finish. So we're going to talk baseball on today's show, obviously preview the Gators uh, uh, final in the College World Series. At this time of us recording this show, we do not know who that opponent is going to be, but we'll get into that. We will also talk Todd Golden. I had a one-on-one interview with him last week. I'll give you guys my takeaways from that and also what Todd had to say on Thursday as he met with the media for the first time discussing his 2023-2024 team. And we already had a recruiting show on our Gators Online YouTube channel this week with Keith and Corey. encourage you guys to check that out. But we'll touch on Friday Night Lights uh, this coming week and uh, kind of put a bow on what has been a really impressive recruiting run. Nick, how are you doing, my friend? Are you, are, are you on uh, Nebraska time now? You've been out there long enough. Yeah. Yeah, it. Uh, my brain doesn't calculate like Central Time well enough, especially because I'm telling game times to people who are mostly most of our subscribers in Eastern Time. And it's only an hour difference. I think if it was Mountain Time, two hours would be enough of a separation. But uh, it's four o'clock here. Um, the matchup I've been hopefully waiting for. We haven't gotten confirmation about it, but Rhett Loader. Uh, first team All American versus Paul Skeens. First team All American. Uh, possible possibility to see them throw against each other tonight in a win or go home game. So you will catch me at the stadium. Um, it's been really cool to see how many Florida fans um, have been in my mentions or on the message board saying that like flights have been booked, tickets have been purchased. Because um, right now there's just a lot of LSU fans out here in Omaha. Uh, a place I've been now long enough where I think uh, I think I might have residency. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you know when, when you cover Florida baseball, that's 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 part of the gig. And um, the Gators have made the most out of their trip this year, undefeated so far uh, in Omaha. They they kick things off with the six five win over Virginia, then they get the five four win over Oral Roberts, and then the three two victory over TCU. Each one. Uh, each one won by one inning and uh, really impressive the way the Gators have been able to to pull out those close games and also set themselves up now for a final where they're going to be able to roll out uh, their top two pitchers uh, to try and get it done on on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Nick, there's a lot of uh, angles that we can take here, man, but just what has been your overall impression of this team's 3-0 and start? You don't see that very often. And, um, yeah. and what they've been able to do to put themselves in this position. 
just the second time in, in program history, Florida started three and zero in Omaha. The other time was that really talented 2011 team um, came up short uh, against South Carolina. South Carolina had a team that uh, won its second consecutive national championship that year. Um, but going three and zero, the the importance of that, um, I can point back to 2017. Obviously, that season worked out well for Florida. Um, the Gators had a three-man rotation similar to what they have now with Alex Fiedo, Brady Singer, and Jackson Coer. You felt good about any three-game series because of that starting pitching. This year, and coming into the year, I said, listen, with Brandon Sproat, Hurston Waldrip, and Jack Caglione, Florida feels good about winning any three-game series. And they went 14-2 and in weekend series on the season. So that showed to be true. If the Gators were to have lost yesterday, they'd be playing right now. We'd probably be in the sixth inning right now as we record, but you'd have to throw Brandon Sproat, which means then you would have Hurston Waldrip for game one of the College World Series final. You have Jack Caglione, and then if you get to an if necessary game, it's just like whoever's available, whoever still has uh, a low pitch count that we can get a couple innings out of. Yeah, that's the situation that both Wake Forest and LSU will be in when they get to the College World Series final, uh, as they play today. LSU specifically, they have three pitchers who um, aren't even throwing; they haven't thrown all year. LSU has guys who, um, a guy in Gidry, uh, Gidry, however you say it, uh, he was supposed to be a shortstop of the future. He threw last night against Wake Forest and, and has been pitching for them this year because of their injury. They just don't have a deep bullpen. So I think if you're a Florida fan, as much as it might pain you, you're probably rooting one uh, for a low-scoring extra inning game um, on <laughs> Thursday night. But you're also looking at, hey, the likelihood of our team having to face Paul Skeens or Rhett Loader is very low. And that's a win already. You won't have a number one versus number one matchup in the College World Series final. Uh, because Florida went 3-0 and these other teams now are, yeah. are scrapping and clawing to get to where the Gators are. So you can't say enough. And it, it doesn't mean you're going to win, uh, but you can't say enough about the advantage that Florida has by going 3-0. And you'll get Brandon Sproat on, on Saturday, Hurston Waldrop on Sunday, and, and the if necessary game, that's all hands on deck. But you still have Jack Caglione, um, who was super shaky, but also only gave up a run <laughs> over – you know, o over his four and or five, four innings, five innings uh, on, on Wednesday night. So Florida has to feel great about the position they put themselves in. Yeah. And just, uh, man, it, it's crazy how these games have come down to the wire. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the, the miraculous yeah. catch that they that they uh, made mm -hmm. to, to advance, but also um, the drama that we saw with uh, Kevin O'Sullivan's mound trips, mm. uh, the walk-off that the first one that they that they've won. Um, is there one game or finish that sticks out to you, Nick? And, and what'd you think about uh, Kevin O'Sullivan having some fun with his uh, t-shirt there? Um, the game that the game. When'd you that first see out? the shirt? I got to the stadium probably three hours, two and a half hours before the game. They had just gotten there. Um, and I walk down the tunnel and I see it and I'm like, well, who the heck is wearing this shirt? And Sully turns around and I start laughing. Um, Chuck Jerome laughing. And I was like, I was like, coach, I need to get a picture of this. And, uh, he said, sure. 
um, wanted to walk away. They have like all of their stats and all of their analytics for like their scouting that they're posting the dugout. And we were kind of standing in front of it there in the dugout at Charles Schwab Field. And uh, he like looked behind him. He's like, I don't need that to be a picture on the internet. So he walked down to the tunnel. Um, but it, that was a huge blunder. This is a coach who's in his 16th year, his eighth trip to Omaha. That's a mistake that a coach making his first trip to Omaha and, and is nervous and gets, you know, uh, caught in the moment makes. So he called he got the biggest mistake of his career, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, if, if you lose that game, it is. Um, luckily, a 19 year old kid, Red Panda enthusiast, Cade Fisher, um, picks him up, picks up his coach, and, and, and finishes off the game for Florida. Um, but that was a huge blunder. The game that sticks out to me, though, um, it, one is that one because winning game two is almost more important than winning game one. Um, mm. if, you, if you lose game one, you know, you're up the creek without a paddle to begin with. Um, if you lose game two, now you're in a in a position where you're going to have to win three more games. You know, TCU would have had to have won three straight games, two of them being over Florida to get to the College World Series final. That's where LSU is after losing game two to Wake Forest. Florida winning game two allowed them to now have their pitching lineup set with Jack and everyone fresh, two days off, everyone fresh. Um, and, and that showed it showed how beneficial it was to win game two. But I think. For me, game one, um, I thought Virginia was one of the best teams in the tournament, one of the best teams in the country this year. And to get a win over over them in that walk-off fashion, I think that really, one, gave Florida confidence. They didn't hit the ball well. Brandon Sprout was a shaky in the beginning, battled himself a little bit, but then put together a really nice start. I think the game that Florida had against Virginia showed them, we can play with anyone here. Uh, and then also... Uh, walking off kind of gave them this push and this momentum um, that makes you forget that like Florida didn't hit very well. I have it like written down here somewhere. Where is it? Florida's hitting just 27 for 120. Like they're hitting barely two, barely 250, 260 in the NCAA tournament. And this is an offense that's carried them throughout the year. But then you look at their pitching staff. Um, in the NCAA tournament, and and just from the tournament, Hurston Waldrop's three and zero with a .86 ERA. Jack Cagliano's one and zero with a .87 ERA. Cade Fisher has a sub three two two five. Brandon Neely sub three, um, and Ryan Slater is just a hair over three, or just a hair under three and a half for an ERA. Like these, this pitching staff is getting the job done. Um, they're only allowing just over two and a half runs a game since the NCAA tournament started. Uh, and Florida's offense can score three runs in a hurry. Yeah, they can. And uh, obviously it's it's crazy how, you know, they, they had that whole game uh, the other day with, with TCU and just no scoring at all. And then when they needed it, man, um, mm -hmm. with that two-out hit uh, come up big. And that's just crazy. Uh how that play happened, how Florida was able to capitalize, and now they sit and wait as we uh, are recording this show, and uh, you guys are listening to it. By the time that you do, this game will already be decided between LSU and Wake Forest, and uh, it, we wait now. Uh, as it's interesting how history has a chance to repeat itself, the Gators beat TCU in 2017 to advance to the College World Series, where they met LSU. 
do we get another rematch of of that series from 2017 or do the Gators play top seeded Wake Forest um what are your thoughts on both of these potential matchups Nick do you like one better for Florida mm-hmm. uh, how do you, how you see this potentially playing out yeah I, I really think that um it, it's almost it would almost feel like fate either way uh Wake Forest has been the best team in the country um and and I say that having watched over 60 Florida games this year I think Wake Forest has been the best team in the country yes they play in a small park which probably ha- has is the reason why they lead the country in home runs they haven't really shown that same kind of power um in Omaha in a much bigger park but also their pitching staff has to pitch in that same park and Wake Forest pitching staff has been phenomenal all year um they have three frontline starters like the Gators do um LSU doesn't have that really um mm-hmm. and I mentioned about them not having the, the depth in the bullpen Wake Forest has guys that just come out of the bullpen throwing 95 96 97 miles an hour and they can throw them two three four five guys deep in that bullpen so if I'm looking at at Wake Forest and LSU and I'm trying to find the easiest path to a championship for Florida I think that's LSU and that's wild to say because LSU was the number one team from the beginning of the season in February to three months into the year, um, you know, before they started losing a couple games, you've got possibly the number one overall draft pick in Paul Skeens, the number two overall draft pick in Dylan Cruz, um, a first rounder next year in Tommy Tanks. I think Trey Morgan, their first baseman, is an incredible player. They've got a great leader in Travinsky behind the dish. Listen, there's 299 college baseball teams and only three of them are still playing baseball. So there isn't an easy path. I just think where LSU's bullpen is, because they've had to play an extra game, um, and the fact that they'll use Paul Skeens tonight to try to get to the final, that that would set up as an easier matchup for Florida, um, as easy as you can get when it's you know the final two teams in the country in a best of three. Absolutely. And although all of our focus, I think, or or should we say uh, for fans and folks in the media is on this upcoming series and uh, where the Gators sit right now, uh, Kevin O'Sullivan and his staff have already (laughs) turned their attention to to next year, um, already recruiting for next season before this one's even finished. And um, they've reloaded from the transfer portal. We've seen the impact that that's been able to have for the team this year. Nick, what do you make of these additions are already uh, the latest one that we saw on, on Thursday and just kind of what this means uh, for the program moving forward? Yeah, uh, well, well, I'll start with with um, with Austin, the pitcher. Um, I think the the big thing for Florida, when you look at their roster next year, you're going to lose Waldrip. You're going to lose Sprout. Um, you're probably going to lose Ryan Slater. Uh, Tyler Nesbitt. You've got a bunch of guys. There's 12 guys coming in, 12 arms coming in through the transfer portal. Um, so you, you've got talent coming in, but you might need to adjust some roles. I think Brandon Neely, uh, who's been your closer all year, he's going to be a weekend guy. He's a starter. Um, yeah, the opinion of the coaching staff, Kevin O'Sullivan in particular, is that Brandon sacrificed this season for the team by going to the bullpen. And mm. he has earned the opportunity. And because he sacrificed for us, he will get the chance. Now, you're not just putting him in pen on Friday. He is going to have to earn it. Um, but Brandon Neely will get the opportunity to start on weekends. Then you have Kate Fisher, 
uh, Jack Caglione, Pierce Capala, who's a six foot eight left-hander who missed his freshman year with a back surgery, missed this year with shoulder surgery. Um, he's a six foot eight lefty who throws 98. Uh, that's a weekend starter. Um, so when I look at, at getting Kelly Austin um, from the transfer portal, that's a guy who is going to probably be at the back end of the bullpen. And, and he's got really good stuff. So Florida will um, probably use him at, in that uh, Brandon Neely closer role. Now, he's not, gonna, he's not a guy that throws 95, 97 like a lot of these Florida guys, but he has a good pitch mix. He competes and he throws strikes. And I think the reason why Jack Caglione was named the starter on Sunday over Brandon Neely was, one, there's some potential there with Jack um, with some electric stuff, but also – you saw it on Wednesday. He doesn't have his command dialed in. Uh, first year after Tommy John's surgery, Jack doesn't have his command dialed in. When Brandon Neely comes in the game, he's going to throw 93 to 97, and he's going to throw strikes. Uh, and you can't afford to walk guys in the eighth and ninth inning. So that's no. why Brandon Neely – it wasn't that Jack was better than Brandon and they picked the better of the two to start on Sundays. It was Brandon's skill set fits better at the back end of games, and, and we trust him to throw strikes. So – I think uh, Austin's a guy who does that for Florida. You trust him to throw strikes. Uh, and, and then at, at catcher, uh, Florida is, you know, dipping dipping back into the Coastal Carolina pool. Um, yeah, right. I would I would guess that Coastal Carolina is sick of Kevin O'Sullivan, um, tired of him and his recruiting. Uh, this is the third player Florida's gotten from Coastal. Obviously, BT Ryapel. Um, and then you get – uh, Dale Thomas, who's uh, played a little bit for Florida this year, uh, a little spot starter, and then you get a catcher in Tanner Garrison. Uh, Florida, because Renee Lastress and Salvi Alvarez hit the transfer portal, only has one catcher on the roster, Luke Heyman. That's a position where a ball can bounce and break your wrist. You can get crossed up and break your thumb and be out for six weeks. You can't have one catcher. You can't really have two catchers. You need to have three maybe four. So I think they'll look for a younger guy now, maybe someone from the JUCO ranks uh, or uh, flipping a commitment uh, of a high school guy. But Tanner Garrison's a guy who at Coastal um, hit 275 in the last, in 38 games last year, dealt with a little bit of injuries, um, started 22. Um, some power numbers, but really he is a defensive catcher. One of the best pitch framers I think uh, we've seen in college and a guy who is going to be a great backstop for you. Luke Heyman will be your starter. Um, he's tearing the cover off the ball here, was the hero um, or one of the heroes in game one against Virginia, uh, but he has a long way to go defensively. Um, and, and I don't mean that as picking on him. I think he would tell you that as well. He's got a long way to go. There's a reason why BT Ryapel has started 53 games behind the dish, and there hasn't been more of a, a platoon there. Um, but Garrison has no issues behind the plate. And it's a solid pickup for Florida, um, who still needs to add another catcher. And then the biggest one, this is the biggest, um, the, the biggest transfer portal move of the offseason is Florida landing uh, Alabama infielder Colby Shelton. Shelton was a freshman All-American, uh, freshman All-SEC. He hit 300, uh, slugged 729, started 59 games, and hit 25 home runs as a freshman mm. in the SEC, um, and this will be your shortstop. I think, it, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Derek Fabian. Derek Fabian kind of got lost in the shuffle this year. He was asked to play a bunch of different spots in the preseason. 
um, and did that. Um, but Colby Shelton's a guy who can play third. He can play shortstop, uh, and he can hit anywhere from two to five in your lineup. Uh, and when you start to look at this lineup with Cade Curlin, um, Colby Shelton, Jack Caglione, uh, Luke Heyman, like the Florida's got some massive bats again next year. You might have a an 80 home run infield next year for Florida coming off of a year where they just broke the single season home run record for the school. Absolutely incredible. And uh, just to see where obviously the game is gone before to take advantage of that <laughs> as well. And um, going to be exciting to see what happens this weekend in Omaha. Make sure that all Florida fans are tuned in to GatorsOnline.com and Nick's coverage, not only uh, from a story aspect, but interact with him on the message board. He's got a live running thread from his weeks in Omaha. And um, I'm sure obviously if uh, there's some uh, national championship celebrations to be had, we'll, we'll get to see some cool videos from that as well. So make sure you guys follow along all that. We'll be back next week. Um, hopefully to recap a national championship for the Gators. And uh, yeah. And if, if you're coming out to Omaha, um, I know people are looking for tickets and things like that. If Florida is playing LSU, they'll be the home team for games one and then if necessary, game three. The home team sits on the third base side or the, uh, uses the third base dugout. Um, so if you're on Ticketmaster or looking for tickets, if Florida is playing LSU, they will be in the third base dugout for the first game. If Florida is playing Wake Forest, they will be in the first base dugout. Um, it's, it's interesting. Florida is the number two overall seed in the entire country. And based on the way the NCAA does seeding, could potentially play six games in Omaha and be the away team in four of them. Um, and listen, like everyone's away. It's a neutral site. Uh, everyone's sleeping in hotels, things like that. But getting the last, getting the last chance to, to respond, getting the last at bat uh, makes a big difference in baseball. In my opinion, I've had some people tell me they don't think so. And they played baseball in college. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I think I'd, ra I'd rather have uh, the last the last set of that bat, uh, you know, rather than having to pitch in the bottom of the ninth, I'd rather be hitting. Yeah. Or no not hitting in the bottom of the ninth because you're already winning. Florida, if you're listening, please, if you're going to win a game, maybe like 5 nothing, I can get some words written before the game's <laughs> over. Um, you know, shoot, Friday was like a control-alt-delete. Now we have nothing. It's 11 p.m. Uh, central time. <laughs> It's midnight. I'm like, people are excited and I have nothing written. How do we get something going? Um, so appreciate people uh, staying up late with me uh, as, as we burn the midnight oil for all of these walk-off uh, wins and dramatic finishes. Yep. And they've, and they've definitely uh, been tuning into because our numbers at Gators Online uh, uh, support that. They, they've been checking out the coverage. So make sure you guys are, are tuned in as well. Uh, before we switch gears, want to give a shout out to my perfect franchise. If you are ready to leave the corporate rat race for the American dream, looking for a side hustle while working your current job, or wanting to di diversify, build wealth, and or leave a legacy, Andy can help. Andy is a franchise consultant as well as a franchise owner and helps people find franchises to fit their skill sets, financial requirements, time to commit, and more. His services are 100% free, and he's here to help if you have any questions about business ownership. You can learn more and contact Andy anytime at myperfectfranchise.net or calling or texting him at 404-973-9901. 
That's 404-973-9901. And although all attention, I think, uh, these past couple weeks have been on Florida baseball, um, Todd Golden has been in the news. Uh, Recently, he kind of wrapped up his transfer class. We talked about it on our last episode with the addition of Zion Pullen. Um, He also added another guard from uh, San Francisco and then a – well, who will be a freshman from Lithuania to complete his 2023-2024 roster. But um, I had an opportunity to visit with Todd last week in his office and talk about his transfer class, talk about his his uh, revamp roster, and just how he feels uh, about uh, his program and where he and his staff stand kind of heading into year two. And it was interesting, Nick, because at the time, that I visited with him. Um, Billy Napier and his staff had not gone on, on this huge recruiting run that we'll get into. Um, so there, there was, you know, there's a lot of conversation out there about Florida football recruiting. And I had asked Todd about, you know, the success that he had on the trail from a basketball recruiting standpoint and, you know, dealing with the pressure and expectations at Florida and kind of what he learned about that in year one. And, he kind of told me after we got done talking, like, you know, it's it's not really that all that bad for him at Florida. Um, you know, there are times when the fans, you know, maybe get upset about a result. and uh, you, you Maybe you know you should stay away from social media. But he said, hey, man, Florida fans have been great and supportive and really pales into comparison to some of the stuff that he sees that Billy has to go through on, on, on a weekly basis. Um, but Todd just, you know. Not this week. Across- not yeah, this week in no, football, yeah. but but a, but a lot of weeks, but not this week. Yeah, no. As soon as as soon as he, uh, he made that comment to me, they went on a tear. So I'm sure uh, Todd was really happy to see that because him and Billy are, are pretty tight. But um, you know, in talking with Todd, uh, he definitely is a guy that is is very confident about where his roster and his program stands. Um, you know, last year's team, right? He had like a month to. Uh, attack the transfer portal and trying and uh, land guys that were left. And that's really not enough time to, to really go out there and scout and, and have a product that you can sell. They only added five players to the roster uh, from for last season. And that's including transfers and the high school guys that they signed. Obviously Riley Kugel was a big one, but this year's team, all 13 scholarship players are all guys that golden and his staff added and recruited. And I think that that, could potentially make a big difference because now they are working with talent that uh, they have specifically recruited for their system. And it's interesting, Nick, like um, as we know in football, when you're trying to rebuild a program and revamp a roster, it takes multiple recruiting classes. You've got 85 scholarship players, a hundred plus on the team. It, you don't just do it in one year. Well, in basketball, you can, <laughs> um, you know, you only got 13 scholarship players, and when you add nine guys to the roster, um, you can revamp it. And, you know, when you look at what they've done, and we'll get more uh, into, the, into the transfer class, but just uh, obviously getting Kugel back, which I know you've talked about, but being able to, to go get guys from the high school ranks and then kill it uh, from the portal has put Florida in the conversation to really kind of change the trajectory of their program after missing the tournament the last two years. It's uh, portal god Todd, like you said. You can 
the transfer portal is, has changed every sport. Um, you're seeing that now Florida's even getting into it. And Florida baseball um, was a recruiting juggernaut for the high school level. Um, they would lose more guys they wanted to the major league draft than to their rivals, Miami or Florida State. Um, and now they're getting into the portal. I think someone messed up and, and gave Kevin O'Sullivan the password to, to the transfer portal. Um, football, you you need to do it, but I think Billy sees it more as supplemental. And, and Billy sees the first transfer portal, that winter transfer portal, as much more beneficial with more talent than he does the spring portal, especially yep. – especially with their process, which is not quick. It's not speed dating. Um, in the spring, speed dating. That's like we're on Tinder swiping right just indiscriminately <laughs> in the spring. <clears throat> and you can only get so many pieces. In basketball, like you just said, and like Todd Golden just did, you can have a brand new basketball team every <laughs> single year. Every single year, you can have a ah, – I didn't like those guys. Hey, you all need to leave. We are, we're going to get nine more guys in the portal, and we're going to have a brand-new team. So basketball, more so than any of the other major sports, um, the transfer portal will shape every team every year. Uh, and, and I'm excited to see what Todd Golden will put together and put on the court in year two because uh, he ha he absolutely has handpicked this roster. Yeah, he has. And um... – you know, it was interesting. One dynamic that I didn't really consider, um, you know, is it, just the transition that he had at Florida compared to San Francisco. Because, you know, when he became the head coach there, he had been the assist an assistant coach at the program for three years. So he, you know, as he said to me, my last year one, I didn't move. I just got promoted. Um, so he had 12 guys in the program that he knew. He basically kept the staff and it was uh, just a lot of retention where as he comes to Florida and it's a complete reboot. And um, as he said, there were some challenges that he didn't expect and some things that he kind of had to navigate through. And, and as you know, Nick, you know, it's one thing to try and re if you have to rebuild a program and that's the reality of where it is. It's another thing when you're having to do that at a program that expects to be elite. And even though it's had some down years, the fans still want immediate results right away. And, um, you know, I, I think that there was a lot of lessons learned and knowledge gained for Golden and his staff in year one. And, um, you know, as he said to me, you know, they, they knew at some point during the year, like, hey, we're going to have a, a, a lot of roster turnover. Uh, we're just going to have to make the best out of this season and then go and attack the portal and, and really get better at our deficiencies. And uh, the way that they've been able to do that, obviously, you know, with, with, with the bigs that they've added to, to replace Colin Castleton and, uh, and then the guys that you get uh, at the guard spots, uh, you know, with Walter Clayton, Zion Pullen. I mean, those are, those are probably, uh, you know, what, those guys are going to be in a starting rotation with, with Kugel and, and Richard, and uh, that's a good nucleus that you have right there. And it'll probably be a, a you know, front court by committee with, uh, you know, some of their bigs and, and having to replace Colin Castleton. And, and, you know, now we wait to see what happens with Colin. The, the NBA draft is on Thursday night. There's some talk about him potentially sneaking into the second round. But Todd said that he thinks that this is a guy that could potentially play 10 to 15 years in the league if he gets in the right situation 
and with the right team. Um, if he can get drafted, that's certainly going to you know be a feather in Todd's cap from a recruiting aspect. I definitely think that coming into next year, uh, in the next draft for 2024, uh, that Riley Kugel has a chance to go pretty high. And um, that, that'll be big, uh, obviously, to get him back as a sophomore. That was, that was the biggest recruit that he had, right, Nick? In my opinion, uh, in my humble, uh, knowledgeable basketball opinion, yes. Yeah, no, it's um, – <laughs> and, and look – you know, Riley tested those waters. He kind of had a, a Bradley Beal-ish type finish to his freshman year where his stock just kind of skyrocketed because of the way that he played down the stretch uh, in SEC play. But now you get him back, you get Will Richard back, you get to pair those guys uh, with two dynamic guards and two of the best transfers in the country and Zion Pullen and Clayton. I'm excited to watch what that's going to look like. And, um, you know, and, and like you said, handpicked pieces that he and his staff have kind of brought to the system. It was clear that they just had personnel last year that they were working with that um, kind of round uh, square peg round hole type of situation. Uh, and then when you also know that guys aren't completely bought in or already looking to transfer, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. You, you, you know, the fact that they, were able to to get a win over Tennessee. Um, that was certainly something that they can kind of build on. So uh, we got to meet with Todd on Thursday for the first time. Uh, he, you know, met with the reporters, kind of addressed some of the transfers, uh, but also said, "Hey, you know, th there's no spots guaranteed uh, in terms of the starting lineup. You know, we got a bunch of competition to be had in summer workouts, and as we get ready for the season and." And uh, one of the reporters well, goes, well, um, Riley Kugel, he'll start. And Todd was like, oh, we'll see. You know, he's got to earn it. And, um, you know, he was a little tongue-in-cheek there, but I, I, I like the answer there. And um, I'm excited to see what, what this brings. But obviously, um, Nick, between him in the portal and on the trail, Billy, and then what we got Kevin O'Sullivan doing, like, you know, the big three, uh, they got it rolling right now in recruiting. Yeah, this is um, Florida. And listen, obviously, there, there's much more that goes into recruiting and getting a commitment. Um, but this football staff, uh, they really understand the news cycle. You get some Austin Simmons bad news. Um, and just like that, a, a wave, an absolute tsunami of oh, commitments of commitments not from like just just guys you're getting dudes in the class guys that pushed florida up into our on three consensus to have the number two class in the entire country um billy saw some bad news maybe got on the message board zach read some <laughs> haters drank all that drank all that up and said all right let's turn it on and, and florida's uh, recruiting class, I think, is setting up. And it'll be interesting to see how they finish. I think Florida, when you look at recruiting, um, right now uh, the Gators are just behind Georgia. And if you look at the average rating, I think we need to do that because we were pointing out last year, Florida and the average rating is the fourth best class in the country behind Bama, Ohio State, and Georgia. But with 16 commitments, you've got most of your class done. I think 25 yep. is definitely a number to hit, which gives you nine more. Um and then looking at Florida's roster, Florida has 
guys who are former walk-ons that will be on scholarship this year. Um, Adam, I think Mahalik is still on scholarship. I think Khalil Jackson is still on scholarship. So they're technically under the 85 for this year. You don't have, you're not beholden to 25 signees anymore. Florida could get 26, 27, 28, 29, 30 commits. Now those are going to be guys that Florida really wants. And that might also end up being guys that they have in the transfer portal. I'm just trying to point out that Florida has 16, but they will have room for a, a bigger class, especially when you include the transfer portal uh, in, you know, after the season in December. Yeah. And you always expect that there's going to be attrition, you know, and that's, that, that's something that happens, but yeah, number two class in the country right now for 2024. Um, Todd Golden is off to a good start with his 24 class with the commitment of bowl. And um, from the transfer front, you know, they signed, they finished with the number five class in the on three team rankings uh, for transfers. And, and on the uh, analytics data and analytics website, evanmaya.com, they actually ranked Florida with the number one transfer class. So uh, portal guy Todd getting busy, Maybach Billy getting busy, and uh, Kevin O'Sullivan is uh, getting, on, getting in on the action as well. So um, you love to see it, as Gator Nation would say. Before we wrap up the show, I want to give a uh, shout-out to another one of our sponsors. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Prairie Dental Center. The doctor is a UF grad who's practiced in Gainesville for three decades and has developed a deep understanding of how to diagnose and treat various dental problems along with advanced skills and knowledge to provide more effective and efficient care to his patients. If you're having dental concerns or just need a cleaning, Prairie Dental Center offers a wide range of personalized care options to meet your individual needs. Give their office a call at 352-373-3431. Tell them Gators Online sent you and your new patient exam will be free. And we've already touched on Florida football recruiting. Uh, that will continue this Friday as Friday Night Lights takes place in the swamp. This is the first time that it's taken place in June, I believe. Um, it's always been a late July event. And the Gators are obviously riding a lot of re recruiting momentum into this event. They had the seven commitments in three days, nine commitments over a week span, uh, and have now catapulted to number two in the recruiting rankings. Um, I don't know how many commits they'll get out of this event. Um, DJ Lagway is expected to attend, is expected to throw. So that should create some fireworks. But Nick, this uh, this event is not um, what it used to be. And it really has mm -hmm. nothing to do with Florida. Um, you know, when this was a big deal, and when this was kind of the summer event of recruiting, this was before the early signing period. This was before recruits were taking official visits in June, uh, and that was allowed. It used to only be in the fall. So there was a lot more value in this event. You know, now a lot of these guys are committed or have already wrapped up their recruitments before you get to the end of July, which is why this event even got moved up a month this year. I don't even know – how much longer we're going to see Friday Night Lights, to be honest with you. Um, Zachary? I, just I, a I hunch? Just, I'm just trying to to warn fans now. Like, it, and, and the reason why is they get a lot more bang for their buck with the seven-on-seven -seven camps and mm -hmm. the individual day camps. Um, and honestly, 
because of the recruiting calendar changing around, camps and seven-on-sevens and Friday Night Lights events like this, they're more for the, the class coming up. Uh, you know, if you're a 24 kid trying to show up in June and get an offer from Florida, tough luck. Like they already got 16 commits. This class is pretty much wrapped up. So, um, it, you know, and, and because there is a lot more focus on underclassmen and you're, you're trying to build your board for future cycles, you're just not going to get a lot of, um, you know, name grabbing attendees at, at these events. So it's, it's not really worth trying to build up this big event anymore. So, um, but we at least have it for one more summer, Nick. It, um, I mean, it started, it was exclusive. It was that secret bar that changed its number. You had to know somebody who knew somebody who was a member that could sneak you into it. Um, and as it be, as it grew in popularity because of the names that you got, I remember, <clears throat> I remember being on message boards thinking, how does this, who's this Ronald Powell guy? And how does a, a senior, Excuse me. And how does a junior in high school look like this? And <laughs> seeing the guys that were showing up to Friday Night Lights, and obviously then it becomes huge. And now everyone wants to go to it. And it's turned into a – before that, it turned into a, okay, all of the best guys in the country are coming and competing against each other. To, okay, well, all of the best guys in the country that Florida might have a chance with are coming to stand in shorts on the sideline and watch other people compete. And now it's like there's 900 kids, maybe 15 that Florida likes. None of them competed. Maybe one of them did. And he's playing against a kid who's, no offense to that kid, not going to be a Division One football player or not going to be an SC caliber football player. Just the quality of Friday Night Lights, I think, from what it began and what it was supposed to be, has just been watered down over the years. And it's no fault of Florida's. It's just nope. it became super popular. And everyone wanted to be a part of it. And NCAA rules say you can't hold exclusive camps. So you have to, even if it's in the tiniest of small prints, on the bottom of the poster, be like, anyone can come for $50. And then a lot of people have $50 and they want to be at that camp because it's a chance for them to get noticed. So it just hasn't been what it was. And I think people will be upset if the Friday Night Lights doesn't continue but they're upset because they remember what it used to be. And it hasn't yep. been that in quite some time. Because recruiting is not what it used to be. And the calendar right. it, it is not what it used to be. And it's not worth the staff. It's not worth it for the staff to hold this big event and all the work and you know time that it takes to throw it and pull it off to have 900 kids show up and there only be like 15 that you're really, really scouting. It's better to have a, a bunch of one day camps. And now you got, you know, three to four or five guys that show up on each day, but you're only dealing with like a hundred campers, 50 campers. Um, that's a lot more easy to manage and scout and, and, and see what you got on the field. So um, the logistics of it, I think is important, but like you said, no fault of Florida's. Um, I think that's important to, to uh, point out, but also important to, Hey, for Florida fans and, and uh, you know, the ones that have been following this since the days that you and that uh, you and I started doing this, Nick, this might be your last chance to come out this Friday. So, um, 
get out there and do it if you feel like watching DJ Lagway throw in the swamp because I don't know um, when we'll have another Friday Night Lights or if we will again. So um, PJ DJ back back in the air, back in the swamp. Well, as we look at keys to Florida success in the 2024 cycle, one of them is obviously DJ Lagway and having a five-star quarterback committed and not only him being part of the class and on board, but actively recruiting others to join it and, you know, taking the PJ to Gainesville whenever he feels like it and um, making sure that he's here for big events like Friday Night Lights. But a lot of other things have factored into it, Nick. I've had a bunch of people on radio shows and podcast interviews that I've done since Florida's uh, recruiting stretch that they just had, which is the best that they've ever had in school history outside of signing day for you know seven commits in three days. It's the best that they've ever had. Um, from your standpoint, I know you've been knees deep in baseball coverage in, in Omaha. Um, but you, it's my you know, eyeballs. You, you have a pulse and I think a perspective on where this program is at and how recruiting has changed how NIL has factored into things, and then obviously how Billy and his staff work. What do you think have been some of the keys to the success that they've had? And going from last summer where they landed four guys in one week twice in July, and we thought that that was like really impressive, to now they're landing four guys in one day, and they've just taken it to another level. It – um. It's interesting. You, I don't really know where momentum can come from um, in, in the recruiting cycle. And Florida has the momentum right now. Um, I'm sure people are angry because it's probably been like, what, 48 hours since the commitment. Um, they've lost the momentum, Zach. They lost it. Um, but, but it's interesting. Where does momentum come from? Um, does it come from a visit? Does it come from... Uh, you know, in George's case, the momentum comes from the product on the field. They're back-to-back national champions. Kids want to go there. Um, I think something that I've spoken with Billy Napier about, something I heard um, DJ Lagway tell Keith Niebuhr when he interviewed him up in Nashville was, they, this, these, this age group, they don't know Florida like you and I know Florida. You and I were in college when Tebow was here, when the basketball team was winning and, and make no mistake about it, basketball winning helped football recruiting yeah. um, and football winning helped basketball recruiting. I don't know that any of the football players care that Florida's playing for a baseball national championship, but football and basketball winning when, when Florida was there helped recruiting. These kids were one and two years old when those, when those teams were winning championships. They don't – I don't even think they give out – I actually, I do think they give out the trophy that Florida has, uh, you know, in 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 the, the Hawkins Center. Not the Hawkins uh-huh. Center, the Hebner, the Hebner Football Complex. But, like, that's not the trophy that these kids know. Mm-hmm. So what is that old thing? That's a national championship. No, it isn't. Um, Florida is battling a perception that the program is just mediocre because that's what they've been for the most of these kids' lives that they're trying to get commitments from. So – when you when you say names like Brandon Spikes and Percy Harvin and Tim Tebow, these guys might know Tim Tebow more for being on SEC Network than they do for playing football and being a Heisman winner. Maybe mm-hmm. some of them. It sounds crazy to people like us and the people older than us that live well, through it. I mean, I, I heard Shannon. I heard up, Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp said that, uh, and and I mean, he's a guy's a, a Pro Bowl Hall of Fame tight end, and he's like, I got people that recognize me for the show that I do on TV and not my yeah. playing career. Yeah. And, and that's so. So for us, 
and for Gator fans, for people our age, it's Florida is a dominant power. They remembered Spurrier in the 90s and winning all those SC championships, winning a, a national championship. They remember Urban Meyer. These guys know Urban Meyer as Ohio State's coach. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. If, if he's anything, he's that or he's that guy on Fox. Yeah, or and, and these guys are, are young to the point where Urban wasn't even recruiting them when he was a coach. So, like, that's the age group we're talking about. So you're not using any of Florida's real history um, of putting of putting guys, you know, in national championships, of getting rings. Like, these guys don't know that. So Florida has to build an experience when they're on campus. They have to play out with their NIL and say, hey, look, when you're on your official visit with us, when you're on your unofficial visit with us, and you're interacting with the players, hey, what's Florida victorious? What's the NIL like here? And then those guys on the team can tell you. So they're building the infrastructure, I think. And that's where Florida is. They can't sell winning. They were six and seven last year. Uh, they haven't won the SEC since what? One, since Tebow was here? Yep. You've won just a couple. You won a couple SEC East titles with Dan and Jim McElwain and got your teeth kicked in Atlanta. So, like, you're selling a vision at Florida. And I think that's what Billy Napier and his staff have been saying hey, be patient because it takes time to build the infrastructure to be able to sell the vision. Yeah. And, and I think that they, they know how to sell Florida now better than they ever have. Right. You know, so many of them on the staff had to learn what are all the great things about you have to sell to recruits? Uh, what are the punchlines, right? What are the, the go-tos? Um, you know, Mike Peterson knew what those were, uh, Burnell Brown, when he was on staff, could have told that to some recruits, but most people on the staff didn't. And I, I think that they they know their product now. Um, I, I think the NIL component cannot be ignored. That was always some that was something that helped Florida back in the last cycle, to be frank. And they, they would do everything right in terms of building the relationship, getting the guys on campus, um, doing everything to be right there as a finalist. And then when the NIL conversation came up some other school would swoop in and kind of take advantage of that. I don't think that that's happening as much now with the structure that they have with Florida Victorious. So that's not holding Florida back. And if anything, there's probably some instances where it's helping them because it is, you know, they've, uh, you know, they've uh, dotted their I's and crossed their T's. So um, we will continue to monitor how things play out uh, this month. The staff uh, will have a chance to take a break after Friday night lights. There will be some decisions that get made in July. So um, the commitments won't stop coming, but things will slow down in terms of guys coming to campus, but um, still one more uh, event that we're going to monitor before the cookout in, in late July. So between Friday night lights and Omaha this weekend for the college world series final, a lot for Florida fans to be tuned into at gatorsonline.com. So Make sure that you guys are following along for all of Nick's coverage on the site, on the message board, on Twitter, on YouTube. Uh, we'll be bringing it all to you guys, and we'll be back next week to recap how that series went and how Friday Night Lights went down. For Nick Del Torre, I'm Zach Albaverde.